Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by Pension B, the flexible pension for the self-employed. They make it easy to contribute as much or as little as you like, as often as you like. Get set up in minutes and then get back to business. And if you've got existing pensions, it's easy to bring them together. Start saving for a future beyond being freelance. Download the app or head to pensionb.com. Pension B is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. With investments, your capital is at risk. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For photographer and creative director, Bal Bartler. It's not always easy. Like Sometimes I can have a million briefs and I'm thinking, wow, I need to open up a new agency here. And then there's times when it can be like tumbleweed and there's nothing happening. Equally as important are your side projects, your passion projects, which I think keep you sane ultimately. Because, you know, that's what really allows me to continue to grow outside of those briefs. Having a lot of other creative input to keep me inspired which then also feeds into my creative brief so I can go at them with like fresh eyes each time. This is really not a a race for me. I'm not in a race with anyone else. It's my own marathon basically. And as long as I can keep my blinkers on to a certain degree, just in terms of that competitive like level, I don't want to be doing stuff just because someone else is doing it. Just take your time, it's you against you. Yeah, so there is Bal, who is better known online as Mr. Whisper. Uh, Maybe you've seen his work. If not, you really should. Love his website as well. So yes, Mr. Whisper's story coming up in a moment. Some very exciting news this week, though. This podcast has been shortlisted for Best Business Podcast at the British Podcast Awards 2022. It's so funny, like... The Being Freelance logo on the list of nominees is like sitting right next to one from the FT, the Financial Times, and next to The Economist. And then there's me, you know, eating biscuits, doing my own thing. But honestly, I'm so chuffed because not just because I make podcasts and videos for businesses for a living these days, of course, but I've been doing this podcast for eight years. So it's very nice to have it recognized when there's so many podcasts out there right so yeah thank you for listening and if you know someone who is thinking about going freelance or is freelance has been for years then please do tell them about this podcast you might think they've already heard of it but they might not have done please do let them know share it online tell them about it in person and if you enjoy the podcast as ever please do leave a review funnily enough it was at the british podcast awards 2021 that the other podcast that I do, Doing It For The Kids, won gold best business podcast. And I couldn't go to that award ceremony because our house was locked down for COVID. Uh, we were isolating and I was absolutely gutted. So yeah, very excited, hopefully, to be able to go to the awards this year. Thank you for all the nice messages already. It's been much appreciated. Anyway, let's crack on, shall we? And speak to this week's guest. We are off to London to chat to freelance photographer and creative director, Bal Butler. Hey, Bal! Hello. Hello, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. AKA Mr. Whisper, of course, but we'll chat about that. How about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? So my freelance journey was very organic, actually. I always feared treading into the world of freelance. Prior to becoming a professional freelance photographer, I worked in advertising and I I absolutely loved my job. 
I'd been doing it for like 12 years. I'd worked my way up to a creative director. I got to work with some incredible brands. But part of my job, and I guess, you know, part of my downfall being so passionate about things was um, when social media kind of web two came about and part of my role as digital creative director at the time at Samsung was to kind of get involved with social media, see how they could, as a brand, could use it to start communicating with their uh, consumers. And so I threw myself into the world of like Twitter, Facebook and all the socials there were. Um, but found myself, I was really rubbish at most of them, <laughs> mainly because I'm, I'm probably more of a visual person. So when Instagram came along, um, and I've probably said them all in completely the wrong order, but <laughs> just the way I remember it, Instagram came along and I just gelled with it. You know, I was like, wow, a visual way of kind of keep um, communicating with people in a very kind of transparent way at the time, 2010. And it was something that I don't know. I just felt an adrenaline rush, something I just had to get involved with. So um, I started to employ uh, Instagram with, into as many projects as I could at work. But then I soon found that my own Instagram account started to get quite popular. And I started to get some great briefs with some incredible clients to, you know, to kick off with. It was like Lonely Planet, Adidas and Jaguar. So I was like, whoa, these are, these are some cool clients. Uh, I know how to deal with clients because I've been doing it most of my career. But this time I'm, I'm kind of afforded this, this creative control like I've never had. So I said to my fiance at the time, and I said, look, I'd, I'd love to kind of give like photography a go full time. I'm getting some great briefs in. And I think if I was to put, you know, my full time into this rather than doing it just after work, I could, I could make something of it. <laughs> she gave me the nod, uh, the green light, which you need from like the boss. And that was, you know, that was 12 years ago. And that's how I started in freelance, just giving it a little go, thinking there was potential in this photography career that I kind of started through Instagram and all on my smartphone. And uh, here we are 12 years later. And, you know, I've worked with some incredible brands. Wow. So you were a creative director, not a photographer. But that's what you were just sharing to experiment with Instagram then? Yes. Like as a creative director, let's say, I was um, I was always the visual person. I worked with a copywriter, so they would write the words. I would come up with the lovely visuals. And then through Instagram, I kind of, I was just experimenting with stuff. And I just found London as my subject going in and out of work. But yeah, definitely not a, a photographer for the first like couple of years on Instagram, definitely more of just like, it was my day to day vlog, I'd say. Um, and then it was when I started to get those like clients. Um, oh, and I think a, a really important thing to mention is that um, Instagram um, gave me a helping hand in that by putting me on the suggested user list, um, which I don't know if you know what that is. But back in the day, when you were kind of, you know, engaging with Instagram or you know, someone who was on there every day, they put you on this suggested user list, which basically would give you like so many followers. I remember I went on it for two weeks and I got like 30,000 followers. So that <laughs> certainly helped as well. And then so these massive clients, Lonely Planet, Adidas, Jaguar. Yes. You Did you have any contact with them before? As in, did they know of you via 
your job or were they simply searching on Instagram or exploring Instagram just the same way you were in a way probably and discovered your work? Yes. I mean, that was kind of my hope because, um, you know, being a creative director, we, you know, most, a lot of the projects that I started to work on started to focus upon these kind of influencers, but they weren't necessarily necessarily living on Instagram at the time. They were, they were more on, um, you know, doing blogs. What was it called? I can't remember the blog name now, but there was a, uh, there was a blog site. So we were getting people who had followers of a certain amount um, to start working on, on the campaigns. And I was like, hang on, you know, I've, I've worked my whole career to like get my chance to work with these, you know, gadgets and products. And now suddenly we, you know, the project's all about these other people. So I was like, I need, I need some of that action really. <laughs> and that's kind of what I was allowed to do, you know, with, uh, with the first few clients anyway, but um yeah, just just with a creative director's hat on, kind of moving towards that more, more kind of photographic goal uh, is what was happening in the in the earlier stages. And you were taking on those clients whilst still working full time. Yes, so I I started that at that point. I I went freelance, so I did. I still freelanced as a kind of senior creative, so less responsibility as I transitioned on to becoming full time. So making sure that I had still doing some advertising stuff. But then also as I was establishing myself as a photographer and being able to go full time. um, Yeah, that was how the transition happened. So those first few clients found you. But once you made that decision to go full time, did you go in search of clients? Um, um, No, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is why I've, I've done this. It's 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 absolutely surreal that, you know, I've been able to hold a career for, you know, 12 years now when I look back and not had to apply for anything. But it, there's kind of a back end to that. There is a, a thinking to that. And I would never advise it to anyone in the same way that, you know, I I had a, I had a great job in advertising and, you know, I was constantly employing freelancers and like looking at them with you know at afar with this kind of gosh they're making like so much money they get to swan in here and swan out (laughs) working on the cool projects but I I I just always feared it I was like no I need to have like a, a job locked down but um yeah lo and behold through you know through these opportunities with the first clients it it really gave me faith in in kind of you know, being able to use my past experience and mix it in with what I was going to start doing with photography. And you have to remember that for the first few years, it was all, everything I was doing was with a smartphone. So uh, I think that that was part of the kind of photographic revolution almost, you know, it was like that really opened the doors to like allow everyone to do do photography um, back then, because I think that's what scared me from it initially. In terms of Instagram, would you be posting every day? Like, what was what were you doing? Originally, I was experimenting with, like, everything and anything. And I was using it as quite a creative platform. So I was doing stop-motion stuff. Um, I was using different lenses. I was using it as a very kind of experimental visual platform, very much with an <laughs> advertising head-on as well. So 
if it was Valentine's coming up, suddenly I'd be doing Valentine's content, and if it was Christmas, I'd be doing Christmas. But it was very, it wasn't very personal, I'd say. Um, and then it was only when I found a few street photographers and mixed it with a kind of HDR style, I came up with this unique kind of look and feel um, mm-hmm. that I was able to achieve just with my phone. And also, just being uh, a street photographer with a smartphone allows you to be like extra discreet than you could be with a big camera. So I became very popular for shooting stuff on the uh, London Underground. And that was mainly because that was the only opportunity I had going to and from like work at the time. (laughs) But it became, you know, a really popular series. It's a body of work that I'm still working on to this day, um, because I just think it's so iconic to have such a a great volume of work of the London Underground. I, I love looking at like photos of it from like the 1960s and stuff. It's mm. you look at the signage, you look at the people, you look at the fashion, the typography. Uh, it's a whole other world, and and I'm trying to just hold on to something like that or build something like that myself. So, so you said that you had good knowledge of working with clients, big clients, for mm. that matter. What would you say were like the key things that made those relationships successful I think it was just being able to speak the language was quite helpful early on there was a very tight community with Instagram so when a campaign would come around there might be three or four of us involved and as that began to happen people would reach out to me and like ask me questions like oh wow they've asked for a mood board what's what's a mood board and uh you know they've asked for like some and they, they'd be just, just you know, speaking a, a language that I would understand. Also, I was, I was kind of interested in, like, how clients would, would kind of choose me, knowing that, like, over time, like, it became a lot more competitive. And, you know, that's, that is actually what they said to me, though, you know, we, we felt confident in the way that you spoke back to us. And one or two were just like, we were most happy that you were like the most expensive as well, which gave us confidence. <laughs> Uh, which was quite interesting to learn. And actually, that's an interesting point, because I was going to say, like, if you were, uh, I guess, any sort of amateur photographer or illustrator or whatever, and had never worked in that industry before, then you wouldn't have a clue as to what to charge. Whereas actually, you must have had a pretty good idea of what these sort of brands were used to paying. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's what was quite insightful for me as well. And you could I could see if they were, you know, if they, if if they were um, taking advantage, so we say, uh, or not. And you know, I, I'd, I'd helped you know a lot of friends with that advice as well because, yeah, you know, f- working with I don't know a car brand and them offering you five hundred quid seemed like a dream to some people who, you know, their day job was you know they were they were a roofer. And all of a sudden, they too had been given 30,000 followers. So brands are like looking at them. And he was like, I don't know what to do. And, I, you know, so there were some people who, who, you know, I really helped guide through that kind of, yeah, I think some brands knew that they were able to take advantage because <laughs> there was some, a lot of people out there who didn't understand the jargon. Um, so I was, I was lucky to be able to speak the language. Um, and often on occasion, I was, I was also, and this is I kind of the thing that I really loved, was able to kind of um, suggest things to the brief, knowing you know coming um, trying to just make them better for both of us. 
if uh, you know there were true collaboration then you know it was great and and I found this more at the earlier stages that clients were open open to hearing and changing briefs um, like for example one time I think it was the launch of the new iPhone for Vodafone and they approached me to showcase the new phone and uh, how good it would be they were like oh we'll put you in the London eye for uh, the experience and you can get some great shots and I looked on Instagram and there's been plenty of people on on the London eye so there's not not that much to talk about really once the the shots have been done or they're not that unique so I thought well something I want to do and I think that my followers would like to see would like test out the iPhone in a helicopter ride over London so <laughs> I got back to them with that suggestion but I mean as a campaign that's a cool campaign like send up like a couple of guys with the new iPhone and see how good it shoots and I sent a, a, a real budget with it and you know at first the agency were like oh thanks but you know we haven't got the budget for it and I was like okay that's fine you know I don't, I'm not going to do it in the London Eye because I don't think that's like very kind of engaging but then lo and behold a month later they get back to me with the budget and they were more excited you know really excited to, to work on it and they internally were very like happy with it and mm. so they decided to showcase it and we did like a metro wrap as well so one of my days on the way to work I open up the paper and see my you know my photos on the like inside <laughs> cover of the metro it was amazing so uh, yeah really being able to use that experience um, when clients uh, are, you know uh, are willing to listen to suggestions is something that I do even to this very day and that's something I really love about you know being able to combine both but that's why I call myself a photographer and a creative director because I like to to give that input as well yeah and it also sounds like you you're confident enough to sort of stand your ground or even to walk away from that project for example I think that's something in the golden era which I'll call it where uh, you know there was I just felt I was saying no a lot more than yes some of the things that I said no to now, I do actually regret, but there was a reason I didn't. I mean, it was, yeah. So you call it the golden era. So how have things changed over those 12 years? Yes. So I think the thing that I began to notice is that over time when, you know, what the, it was kind of the conversion rate of a brief turning into like, let's say a contract. So then you know that the project's going to happen. So over over time, I think, yeah, a lot more people got into the the kind of they they noticed that people could make a living through social media. There became a lot more competition, and therefore I found, you know, a lot of the projects that I was saying no to, my friend would be working on them, and maybe because I was doing it full time, it wouldn't cover my costs. But for someone who's doing it as a, a part time extra cash, mm. um, you know, that that's where you kind of that's where I began to have to double think like, hang on, am I so, am I so privileged now to say no to everything or do I have to be a bit smarter um, in my approach because I have to pay the bills. Right. So um, over the years, I noticed that there's a lot more people got into it. So there was a lot more competition. So I just had to decide what I wanted to do again. You know, you, you kind of point your work towards the kind of work you want to attract and so 
I just again naturally found myself moving into kind of um, night photography, um, and this was mainly a result of me transitioning from a smartphone to a big camera, and that all happened actually on the back of a, a very cool project I worked on with uh, Lacoste, and it was to launch a new fragrance, but I was able to talk about my photography through the campaign. And then at the end of the campaign, the client really loved the images that I that I produced and asked if that we could put them in all the stores across Europe. And <laughs> there was a very big check that was written. And then I was like, oh, that's amazing. However, you know, at the time, your photo, like a smartphone photo could only go up the size of maybe not even A4. And so, yeah, that it was it was literally that day I went out and I was like, right, I need to get myself a big camera now. No more, no more of this smartphone business. As much as I, I, I prided myself on being a, a smartphone photographer. So, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes, you do. You learn. You learn <laughs> the hard way sometimes. So that was the trigger to then become to start doing night photography. You said. Yeah, when I, uh, I I remember I picked it up just before I went on a on a holiday, and being able to shoot at night, I was just like, wow! And I didn't I didn't even consciously kind of, I think it didn't it didn't kind of connect in my mind that I hadn't been shooting at night at all. And then I was like, wow! Now I can shoot at night. I can, I, like the story can continue. Nothing. It doesn't all happen during the day. And I just found that's where my niche was. Is like either working underground or working at night. But always, I think, at the heart of my work is London. Like, that's, you know, that's kind of the the bigger story, the bigger mission. You know, there, I think that is my underlying, you know, as long as that subject is within my work, that's, you know, that's what you'll find. And that's probably what attracts a lot of my clients because, um, you know, that's what I'll see in the briefs that come to me is allowing me to tell like stories like through through London through a London lens almost Mm. so in the face of all that extra competition how would you sort of distill down how you managed to sort of stay doing what you wanted to be doing and making a the living that you wanted to make from it I mean yeah being freelance is a complete roller coaster right (laughs) um it's not always easy. Like sometimes I can have a million briefs and I'm thinking, wow, I need to open up a new agency here. And then there's times when it can be like tumbleweed and there's nothing happening. And those things can really affect your work as well. You know, and at your most vulnerable, you start to see people, you know, doing really well. And then you're questioning your work and, you know, you can easily start just trying to be someone you're not at those points. And I think, again, having like quite a long, having, having the experience of being a creative in a like creative agency where there was lots of other creatives and you see other people perform better, you see other people burn out. For me, I just felt like this, this is really not a, a race for me. I'm not in a race with anyone else. It's my own marathon, basically. And as long as I can keep my blinkers on to a certain degree in terms of just in terms of that competitive like level, I don't want to be doing stuff just because someone else is doing it. And I think whenever I just completely absorb myself in my own projects with stuff like that, I, I seem to, you know, attract the right kind of brief um, at the end of it. And 
and and and like I said, it's not easy. It's not like I can do it all the time. But by not worrying about other people, I found has been the most helpful. And then just sticking to your own projects, being you know the ones that you're getting from clients, or equally as important are your side projects, your passion projects, which I think keep you sane ultimately. <laughs> In what way? Oh well. You know, there was a time where I was getting like a copy and paste on, on like the the work I was getting. It'd be like, here's a product, do your th- do your London night thing with them, post three shots, post three stories, and you know, I I take every brief as like an you know the, a creative opportunity that I should try to do something different with. Um, I don't mind once I've established a budget. You know, they don't have to be a certain amount, but if I've if I've kind of got what I'm happy with, I will go all in to try and just produce something new or innovative just so that I've learned something as well as created, you know, the best thing I can for the campaign. There was a time when just going through these similar projects back and forth was really just, I was like, I, I, was, I literally wanted to pack it all in. But what keeps you sane is like your little passion projects, your side projects, because, you know, that's what really allows me to continue to grow um, outside of those briefs as well. So, you know, I, I have my YouTube channel, which allows me to kind of share my knowledge and tips on photography and anything, really. You know, it's a channel that allows me to kind of share any kind of um, creative story that I want to tell. And that's kind of what I use my my social outlets for. But within that, you know, side projects are collections of photography things that I'm doing short video projects that I'm working on learning about you know the web3 space and you know working on my first nft collection yeah just uh, having a lot of other creative input to keep me inspired which then also feeds into my creative brief so I can go at them with like fresh eyes each time Okay, there's Val, Mr. Whisper, back with his story in a moment. But this episode of Being Freelance is also supported by Hrefs and their webmaster tools. It's what I've been using to sort out the SEO on the Being Freelance website. You can use it for your freelance website, of course. You tell it your website, and then it trawls it each week, gives you an audit report, and helps you figure out what things you can do to fix to get yourself rising up the Google rankings. It tells me where I've got errors, you know, like things where I created a page maybe six, seven years ago and now there's a fault on it because it's linking to the wrong place or it's a dead URL that it now links to. It's it's really interesting, really helpful and it can help you too. It is hrefs.com slash A-W-T. Hrefs is spelled A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T and thank you very much to the team at Hrefs for supporting this podcast. Okay, let's get back to Mr. Whisper. You said that there's been times when you've been tempted to start an agency because there's so much work coming. Like, is that like for real? You've genuinely considered it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there was there was so much work that I was. I just thought I've been doing this for like twelve years, and I think this was probably around maybe eight years in, and then every year since. Um, <laughs> you get to a point, and you think, right, you know. What's next for me? And then, you know, there were points where like, okay, I've done everything I can on my own. So why don't I get an agent? Let's see how that will progress my career. So I've worked with two very good agents, but 
sadly I was bringing in more work than either of the agents did so they didn't <laughs> that didn't really work I think it worked out better for them than it did for me so always trying to see how you can grow so that was one potential and then it was like do I collaborate with people in order to offer a wider range of services so that yeah you know in-house I could offer more like bigger productions on things like a, like an agency but what I will say is that I'd always been asked at work to like start my own agency and I, I just never wanted the responsibility of other people's mortgages mm. um, and I thought you know it's a big thing to take on big responsibility but when social media happened it lo- allowed you to have this nano agency just you and the client and the brief you know and uh, you know that that wasn't kind of possible before you'd always have some kind of middleman so I think always thinking back to that 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 was the dream keep being able to keep things light I don't need any office space I can work wherever I need to work and then if, if projects of a scale do come in I you know I have a, a very good network of people that I can rely on to to get things done as well so ah so you do sometimes collaborate to deliver more yes if it's required um i mean i guess that was more back in the early days but yeah no nothing of recent but yeah there you know we i did a <laughs> i did a a little campaign for for adidas and the uh, the brazil world cup so for that we had to create like bits of content for every game obviously then i could kind of i worked with a creative partner and we at that point, we had to employ like 10 like art students to get the work done physically on time. So um, they loved the experience. <laughs> they were paid, let me say that. Um, but um, yeah, that you know, there, there are times where they, these were all when I was doing kind of stop motion projects. So with my smartphone doing stop motion, that used to take a lot of time, like frame by frame, like six seconds 15, like 12 seconds animations could take like up to two weeks so I would always have like an assistant or someone to like help cut stuff up and then and then like three more briefs would come through and you'd be like okay like just not enough hours in the, mm. in the day to get it done and at that point my my creative partner kind of he he went off to Australia to live and that's when kind of I was like right no more stop motion just photography from now on Ah. And how do you go about sort of managing your time, your day, your week? <laughs> Great question. I, I always used to think, how do you focus on so many different things? Like when you, you know, and you want to do well at all of them. Well, that's kind of what we did at school, didn't we? So I kind of break it down into like a school timetable. Everything has a, a certain amount of hours for each project and Generally, I'm very, I'm very guided by to-do lists and timelines and, uh, yeah. I mean, I have to see things laid out in front of me. I need to know the night before what I'm doing the next morning and, like, so forth. Like, as long as things are in place, I kind of fix to my, my timetable, I guess. Um, other than that, I do make sure that I have my, you know, two, at least it's like two to three days out um, doing my street photography as in doing your own thing yep 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 just yep. out and I mean touch wood you know doing my own thing is generally client work as well so that's very very uh, fortunate 
So um, even even out on my, I've just recently come back from a, a holiday, which was a holiday in uh, South Korea, Seoul, which was incredible. But you know, I tapped up a few of my favorite clients before going, who completely get my style, get my way of working, and said, "Look, if you'd like anything done, I will be." capturing every living moment while I'm there both on video and still so yeah got a little bit of work while I was out there but again it, it just you know that that old cliche it just doesn't feel like work when uh, when it's what I just do naturally okay I'm not going to ignore the nft question because I I often run from it because I don't understand it particularly well but <laughs> it sounds like it's a new potential way you know like for example you have a print shop this sounds like another way for you to um, bring in an income stream as well as exploring a new way of uh, of doing things, right? Spot on. That's a brilliant way of saying it. Like, and in the simplest way, I think it's definitely a new revenue stream. Um, as I'm putting my new print shop together, I'm also thinking where you know how do my how am I going to accommodate my NFTs as well? But also, I think. On a personal level, what excites me about the NFT space is just how it allows me to tap back into all the like types of creativity I've had throughout my career. Like at uni, I you know got a degree as being a 3D artist doing motion graphics. Then I worked as a designer my whole career, uh, and then getting back into filmmaking and photography over the last ten years. And I think the NFT space really allows you to kind of be an artist. So. Being Mr. Whisper, you know, in my print shop, you'd expect to see my street photography. But I would hope, and the way that I move into the Web3 space and the NFTs, I want to, yeah, uh, try to collaborate with other artists as well as just mixing my media up with my 3D skills, seeing how that works with my photography and just being a bit more of an artist like I was at art school, I think. That's that's my take on it anyway. So that's why I, I'm i kind of excited to be able to expand the Mr. Whisper brand as more of an artist. It, you know, it could lead to like merch that I could do because I've always been interested in doing some like uh, clothing or accessories. So I think it's just an it's it felt to me like, oh, this is the way that the Mr. Whisper brand could do it quite organically. So, yeah, nice new territory to explore. Interesting. And you've said there the Mr. Whisper brand, which I meant to ask about. Like, when you first went freelance, were you Mr. Whisper? Um, yes, I was. So where did that come from? So um, Mr. Whisper originally was my graffiti tag. So back ah. at school and, like, art college, I was, like, Mr. Whisper. And then when uh, social media came along and, like, you know, you were like, oh, you can't trust anyone on social media. Don't put your real names, real name <laughs> down. Like, they'll find you and like, they'll know where you live. So I put down Mr. Whisper on everything. And and then as it became like my career, <laughs> my income stream, it turned into a brand quite naturally. And it's funny because it's always been, even when I was at, um, when I was working in Adland, I'd always have my side projects there as well, where I was making like, I'd come home and I'd make these like Japanese style toys, but out of plush. So I would get them printed and then I would stitch them together, you know, and I was like intent on making like a little Mr. Whisper series of toys. Like there were like a little ninja series of toys. So it's always been like this, this brand for me. And I'm just happy that, you know, 
one way or another it got to grow and I've been able to kind of hold on to it and uh and it's something that people remember so it's uh it's it hasn't worked out too bad in the end when you then deal with clients do they say oh hello Mr Whisper (laughs) or um like do do, do they actually know your name like it's uh it's always the first thing that they ask in a conversation um so it's it's a nice icebreaker as well I think um I'll tell you a funny thing though is that when I left Samsung and then went off to do the the Brazil World Cup campaign and then came back and then literally my old agency were the first people to send a brief through to Mr Whisper not knowing that I was the old creative director there (laughs) and uh, I went I went in with my flip-flops as Mr. Whisper, like just back from Brazil with my creative partner ready to take on like a whole load of briefs for Samsung. And then like, hang on, did we just see you in the meeting room? And what were you doing? And it was like, oh, yeah, I've just been brought in to work on another campaign as Mr. Whisper. So, Uh, yeah. That's great. Although that also answers one of my other questions, which was I was wondering whether like your relationships and your history within that agency had bought you work you know like often it's our network whereas you've not really referenced that so it it feels like it's been more about what you've created and put out there for example on Instagram rather than the people you've known throughout your career previously. I've certainly had a few um, connections from my Adland time it's not been a hindrance it's definitely been helpful there's certainly some very cool projects that have come my way through being connected through Adland. But what I found I didn't do personally, I was missing a trick. I haven't been tapping into that network enough. So, And I think that is because I don't post enough stuff on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> that's where Adland lives. They don't actually live in Twitter or, you know, well, they might do now, but they never, you know, or Instagram. That's kind of the irony. Everyone, they do all the work for it, but no one actually lives on it. So when someone says the word to them, they're like, oh, get someone who knows about it. Oh, Bal, he knows about it. Yeah, he can come and do a workshop. Oh, he can do like a, a walk. So, yeah, I remember through one of my old colleagues, his wife works at Facebook and Instagram. And so he was, he was like, yeah, my wife needs someone to host a, a workshop for like the, you know, the whole of Instagram and Facebook are coming to London. And they want to do a mobile workshop. So I did a mobile workshop for them. And that was a great experience, a great thing to put on my CV as well. You know, a master, uh, a mobile phone masterclass with Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the majority of stuff has come just by posting organically. But again, it's it's posting organically, but quite strategically, because you can easy, easily get pigeonholed by following trends, like I said, which is oh, something I can't do. Now, Bal, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Bal? The first one is I have kissed the World Cup. The second one is I've made a selfie with Pablo Escobar. And the third one is I've worked with Jay-Z. You had a selfie with Pablo Escobar. Wasn't he the drug runner dude who was the story of Narcos or something? Indeed. But he's not. You had a selfie with him. I didn't even realise. I presumed he was in jail or dead. I'll be honest with you. I didn't realise he was up for taking selfies. Um, This happened through an opportunity when I worked with Netflix. And we flew out to Bogota to shoot the cast and crew. 
we were also taken with bodyguards um, to meet Pablo Escobar. And um, we were guided through his residence uh, with armed bodyguards. Um, and there was a crew of about uh, 20 of us who went on this mission. So that was when I had my opportunity to shoot uh, a selfie with Pablo Escobar. Whoa. You've worked with Jay-Z. What did you work with Jay-Z on? Um, so he was launching a new album, the Black Album, and I was working at the agency that were launching that. So I got to be, I got to work on some of the creative on that photography and art, the art direction of the photography. I was not the photographer; I was the art director. Did you get to meet him? Uh, sadly, not. And you kissed the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Don't take offence. I didn't realise they let anyone kiss the World Cup. <laughs> Uh, clearly you're not anyone you're Mr Whisper but still um <laughs> you know I you, you didn't have to run about for playing football in order to you know have a smooch <laughs> so um again this was when I was um working on the uh World Cup campaign for Adidas and we were given exclusive access to the World Cup and were able to after taking our shoes off, go on to the, the Maracana pitch where the World Cup final was about to take place. And we did a little stop motion with the World Cup. And then afterwards, we asked to obviously have selfies, as I do with every job, as you might start to see the, uh, <laughs> the trend, um, asked for a selfie with the World Cup. And at that point, we yeah gave it a little kiss. So there was actually a funny bit to that story, because as part of our stop motion, it was like, take a photo, turn the World Cup, take a photo, turn the World Cup, as the ball kind of went around it and did some kind of magical stuff. When we went to lift the trophy and put it back in its lovely Louis Vuitton suitcase, the base came off the World Cup because we had twisted it so much. <laughs> the two bodyguards came running over and like, oh my gosh, like we assassinated the Prince of Brazil. I don't know. It was... Uh, that was quite funny. So basically, you accidentally unscrewed the World Cup. Yeah, that's that's what I. <laughs> I, I feel like that has to be true. It's good to know that even the World Cup is screwed together. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say that's true. I mean, I, I was surprised that they would let you kiss it, but maybe you just did it, and then they tried to stop you afterwards. <laughs> but the unscrewing story sounds that sounds so true. <laughs> Paso, is it Pablo Escobar or Jay Z? The I mean, yeah, you could have worked on the Jay-Z thing. So is it, I just didn't think Pablo, I just, it's that, I, I'm going to say it's that one. I, <laughs> I believe that you worked with Netflix and went and did the Narcos thing. But I don't, I mean, I don't even know if Pablo Escobar liked that show and approved of it or anything. I didn't even know he was alive. I'm going with that one. I, I think that's the lie. You know what? It's... <laughs> You're you're right because it's kind of it was kind of I didn't expect you to go for like the real Pablo Escobar I expected you to go for the narcos guy from <laughs> so then I was like oh no oh no he's taking this one all the the wrong way so you're right it wasn't the real Pablo Escobar but I took a with the actor who played Pablo Escobar I took a selfie with him so you're 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 half half and half right. The the false one was that I hadn't I didn't work with Jay Z the other. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> 
So, so, but you, you know, I kind of did kind of mislead you a little. You did mislead because if you said, well, okay, it wasn't the real Pablo Escobar, it was the actor. Although I've got to say, I still wouldn't have said the Jay Z one was the lie because that that did seem totally plausible. It's not like you said, yeah, I used to give Jay Z back rubs while we were working on it together, and we, you You know, know. dropped him a few lines. Yeah, it did did sound quite plausible. You were like, no, how about you add a few more problems onto that song? I don't think. I think ninety-seven's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, Val, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I think <laughs> I've, I've mentioned it before, but it's probably the best advice I was given just for my career was just pace yourself, basically. Um, it's it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. If you're taking your like career seriously, just take your time. It's you against you, I guess. Nice. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I know you mentioned that particularly in relation to competition and you know keeping your eyes on your lane as it were mm-hmm. but it sounds like it also counts to work-life balance like h- how do you find that um I think firstly I need to give a massive shout out to my wife <laughs> because she supports the fact that you know she knows what I do and being on social is kind of you know that always on culture so at first, I didn't know when to switch off, to be honest. I was in a bit of a, you know, in a bit of a panic being like, look, this is my business. Why should I ever switch off? We just should keep moving. But, you know, I, I did start to find um, I was burning out. And that's when I just said to myself, look, I need to slow down. I need to kind of make sure that I definitely take enough time off during the week. Don't spend too much time in front of the screen each week. Make sure I take time to go and do why I started this in the whole first place was sitting in my office thinking, imagine I could just go out and take photos whenever I wanted, like two, three times a week, say, and then I'd make sure I, you know, had enough work. And, and then just staying true to that, that little dream, I think helps my kind of work life balance, stay quite balanced. I do honestly feel very, very lucky with being able to do, you know, the things that I'm allowed to do creatively and and with my family. Um, and that's all through like being freelance. Nice. Um, you've got to check out Bow's work. Go find Mr. Whisper online. Go to beingfreelance.com. As with all of our guests, there are always show notes and uh, a transcription and, of course, links. So uh, it can, but I mean, seriously, Google Mr. Whisper. It's all, but well, no, don't actually go to beingfreelance.com. What am I, t- oh, <laughs> I drive you towards my site, right? Not Google. Um, so yeah, go do that and make sure you're following Bow on Instagram in particular and on YouTube as well. Bow, thank you so much and all the best. Being freelance. Thank you so much, Dylan. It's been a pleasure. All the best with the rest of your podcast. There we are. There's Bao. Do check out his work. Like I said, it really is great. Also, you're not alone. Being freelance. Come hang out with us in the Being Freelance community. There's a link at beingfreelance.com. And if you're new or thinking of going freelancing, make sure you check out the course. It's not just me wanging on about my own experience. It's 
drawing from over 250 guests of the Being Freelance podcast. So you don't have to spend the next year of your life Googling everything. You can get it from the video course for us put together. And hi to you if you signed up for it recently. I hope you're enjoying it. Do feel free to reach out and say hi. It's, it's always nice to hear how you're doing. Don't feel like you can't. Anyway, yeah, everything you need to do about Being Freelance, including the merch, you know, the hoodies and the tees and stuff, the mugs, it's all at beingfreelance.com. I'll see you for another one very soon. You have a great week. Being Freelance.